Good Friday can feel like a lonely day. It is spare, it is a quiet, almost darkened church. There are the prayers of penitence, the psalms of lament, the the mournful chant and music. It can all contribute toward a sense of loneliness, of being alone, of, of being isolated, away from everything. The focus of the day is Jesus dying on the cross. But what happens on the cross is described somewhat differently depending on which gospel one reads. In some accounts, the passion is lonelier than in others. Matthew's gospel, for instance, is the one that has Jesus in anguish, crying to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is alone. He's surrounded by strangers and criminals. In a similar way, Mark's gospel also includes this cry of abandonment, this cry of frustration, of loneliness, of fear even. And this can raise a lot of questions. Has God abandoned Jesus? Is Jesus truly alone? And then pushing those questions a little bit further. If Jesus dies alone, what about us? How do we face death? Whether in the face of an illness, or through violence, or accident, or or perhaps just a graceful, peaceful end. Are we also left alone like Jesus? Will our prayer be like his? Why have you left me, God? Where are you, God? Here is where a little bit of biblical literacy is a very helpful thing. Each gospel has its point of view, but in our search for truth, we should read each one and allow each gospel to contribute its part to the conversation. We don't conflate all of the gospel accounts into one and then come out up with a, a general sort of vague message. And so we turn to John's gospel, the one we have just heard. Notice that in John's gospel, there is no sense of abandonment. God is there fully, richly, completely, totally. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann explains it this way. He he says, to understand what happens between Jesus and and his God and Father on the cross. It's necessary, it's essential to talk and think in Trinitarian terms. The Son suffers dying, but the Father suffers the death of the Son. The grief of the Father here is just as important as the death of the Son. The fatherlessness of the Son is matched by the sonlessness of the Father. And so in John's Gospel, Jesus dies on the cross, but he is by no means alone. There is the company of his Father. There is the presence of the Spirit. 
But that community extends further. It extends from the cross downward and outward into our world right here. Remember there at the foot of the cross, there where Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God, stands watching and weeping. She is there, and she's not alone either. Just about every Friday night in this church with Stations of the Cross, we've sung of Mary's presence. At the cross, her station keeping, stood the mournful mother weeping where he hung the dying Lord. For her soul of joy bereaved, bowed with anguish, deeply grieved, felt the sharp and piercing sword. We've been there with her. Mary is there along with her sister. And there's Mary the wife of Clopas. And there's Mary Magdalene too. The beloved disciple is there as well. And even though the beloved is not specifically named, the tradition points to John. And many believe that it's in fact this beloved disciple, this John, who is the author of this gospel. And so his anonymity, perhaps, in the story is explained by his humility of bringing us the story. From the cross, Jesus speaks to Mary and the beloved disciple, Woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, here is your mother. On one level, this seems like a logical thing to do, just putting people together so they can lean on each other, so they can tend to each other, so they can care for each other, they can be for each other. But why these two? Haven't the Gospels suggested elsewhere that Jesus had at least step-siblings? Where are they? Is there nowhere else for Mary to go? Her sister is there with her at the cross, and yet Jesus does not entrust Mary to her sister. Presumably, Joseph has died already, so he's not there. But why put Mary with John? One explanation of this new bond of Mary with John comes from a Canadian theologian named Tim Perry. Uh, Perry is a priest and a professor in Canada. And he thinks a lot about the Virgin Mary's role in the church, especially from a Protestant point of view. He wonders if there isn't a whole lot more going on here than one might first imagine. Father Perry points out that by giving Mary to the disciple John and giving the disciple John to Mary, Jesus is forming a bond, a new relationship between the church and the teaching of the apostles. On the one hand, Father Perry suggests all people who would receive the salvation Jesus brings, symbolized by the mother of Jesus, Mary, must come under the care of those who knew Jesus best, the apostles, symbolized by the beloved disciple. The apostles' teachings are cared for, preserved, protected, and indeed understood nowhere other than in the church. And so neither can really exist or stand without the other. Both need each other. In other words, Mary can represent the church at its best, showing up, serving, doing, praying, loving, abiding in the love and life of Jesus 
And then John, the beloved disciple, can represent the apostolic tradition in which we all play a role, learning and teaching and meditating on the way of Christ, deepening our lives and the life of the church through spiritual disciplines. Mary and John need each other. Perry suggests that reading Mary as symbolic of the church and the beloved disciple as symbolic of the apostles can serve us both as a warning and as a promise. As a warning, it reminds us that it's not all about me. There is no such thing as one Christian. It's not about me and my Jesus. It's not enough for me to walk in the woods and create what I believe to be a special relationship with Jesus and then have that rule my day, much less rule your day too. No, my conception of Christ needs the church to shape it and test it and keep it accountable and encourage it and grow it. And the church risks losing its own soul when it drifts too far from the teaching and the wisdom of the apostles. Both can happen in our day just as much as they have happened in history. But there's also tremendous promise. There's promise in this relationship with Mary and the Beloved. The cross does not leave us alone, not for a minute. We are never forsaken. We have been grafted into the church through baptism, and we have been entrusted into the care of the apostles. And so when we hear the scriptures, when we receive the sacraments, when we walk and talk together in faith, we are in the presence of the risen Christ. When we pray the stations of the cross at the 14th station of the cross, the final one, Jesus is laid in the tomb. And we affirm, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see corruption. This is the faith of the church, and we proclaim it. And then we sing with Mother Mary and the beloved disciple and all the company of heaven, Jesus, may thy cross defend me, and thy saving death befriend me, cherished by thy deathless grace. When to dust my dust returneth, grant a soul that to thee yearneth, in thy paradise a place. The love and the ongoing presence of the Holy Trinity means that no matter how we might feel at a given day or a given moment, no matter what the presenting evidence might suggest, we are never alone. With God's abiding and loving presence, may we be kept safe and sure until we too are brought to new life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.